Hello, welcome into the Monday Morning Cornerback. Uh, this is Eric McKinney, joined by Daryl Rideau. We are coming off USC's 41-14 win against Arizona. Uh, it was homecoming, USC coming off, ju just a tough loss to Notre Dame. Back in the Coliseum where they were 3-0 and this season, and they rolled Arizona. I mean, it, the, this was a game where no, the offense didn't get on track and throw up a ton of points right away, but three nothing, then ten nothing, then it just kind of kept going and going. And before you know it, you know USC has has just run that lead and and is shutting Arizona out going into the fourth quarter. And Daryl, we we talked about this right before we started. This is what you do against Arizona. Arizona is not a great team. They were not playing well. They had just been blown out by Washington the previous week. Still so many questions about, you know, what is this USC team and, and can they get a win against Arizona? I mean, the, there were some legitimate questions about that. They did what they needed to do uh, defensively and, and offensively, putting up eventually getting to 41 points. Uh, I think overall a, a positive statement from a USC team that really needed it at this point in the season. No doubt. And you, you talk about, you know, the, the familiar confines of playing at in the Coliseum on, on um, homecoming weekend against a team, Arizona coming in at four and two at the time. And again, you, you, you talked about, they just got drugged the week before. But this is still a team that can be very dangerous because it's the whole uh, Jekyll and Hyde. You don't know what Arizona team was going to come in. One that featured a prolific running game with a mobile quarterback in Khalil Tate that could cause USC a lot of concerns. Or the one that just kind of fell apart at the helm and really offensively unraveled. And what you saw was a situation where a USC team coming off of the loss at Notre Dame where depending on how you want to spin it, if we're taking the perspective of Clay Helton, in that second half, things started to click for them. And he's kind of using that as a benchmark for the turn of their season. The way that the USC competed against Notre Dame coming into this Arizona game against the Wildcats, would that continue over? Or would you see some of the residual inconsistency effects of so many guys kind of rotating in and out? And what you were pleased to see as a Trojan fan, as an alum, and just as someone like us who covers this team, a team that finally looked like they didn't play down to the level of their competition. Instead, they dictated pace and pressure and for three quarters pitched a shutout. So for me, Eric, if I'm just looking at this game the way that Clay Helton wants us to look at it in a vacuum onto itself, uh, disregarding anything that happened, you know, up until this point throughout the season, I have to say that this was by far the most complete game that we've noticed USC put together, despite many situations that have, could have caused this game to unravel very quickly with the amount of injuries that were absorbed. But from from just the stylistic and and um, uh, from a stylistic standpoint of how they competed. You like how aggressive they were defensively and how they generated turnovers. Some of it was self-inflicting, so I can't give all the credit to the Trojans, but they were able to capitalize and take advantages of some short fields and some miscues that were uh, led by 
the Wildcats just really kind of unraveling before our eyes. And so many times we've seen USC kind of fall prey to that type of, of performance. But kudos to how they, uh, how the Trojans maintain their composure despite many of their brethren's um, coming off the field, or in some regards, guys that they depended on for production throughout the whole year, were on the sideline in street clothes on a week where it was, again, homecoming weekend, where you know many guys, if they were healthy enough, wanted to compete, especially the seniors. Yeah, I, I want to, we're, we're definitely going to get into some of this injury stuff here in a little bit, but I, I want to get to specifically defensively what you saw. Look, the, this was Boy, it feels like what we've seen from Khalil Tate in the past. And I know this year he had the hamstring injury, and it feels like maybe that's limited a little bit. But even 70% Khalil Tate is dangerous, feels dangerous. And, boy, it feels like Arizona has just found a way, the Arizona coaches have found a way to just shackle him, you know, a 50-pound ball and chain on him. And he just – doesn't seem to have it but saying that USC and, and defensive coordinator Clancy, Clancy Pendergast boy he can put together a game plan specifically against Khalil Tate they have come out in the first half uh, against Khalil Tate in, in the last three years and just done a phenomenal job against him and, and certainly these USC defensive players they know Khalil Tate they have a lot of history with him Khalil Tate from uh from Sarah and Gardena here played with a lot of the, the players on USC's team yep. and they come out firing against him. And this was an Arizona team. They were averaging more than 500 yards a game. They, they were a top, you know, top 20, yeah, top, top, yeah, top five in the, uh, in the country in terms of, you know, offensive yeah, well, production. So right. when, when you looked at some of the numbers and, and running and passing this game at the end of the third quarter, Arizona has scored zero points. They have 167 total yards of offense. Khalil Tate, in possibly the worst game of his college career, 47 yards passing uh, and, and uh, eventually was held to, neg I believe it was like negative 27 yards rushing because of six sacks. That USC defense was all over him. What did you see? Because, boy, it, it felt like from the first snap you could see the way Isaiah Polamal and Talanoa Hufunga, one of them would come down. They, they sort of loaded the box, and they brought pressure from all over the place. The defensive linemen were, were where they were supposed to be, which we don't always see, and they were able to clean everything up. And, and one of the things that stood out to me was how quickly they were able to pounce on Khalil Tate anytime he tried to break the pocket. What, what did you take away from either strategy or just performance specifically – from the USC defense against that starting, you know, the, when the starters were in there, obviously in the fourth quarter, Arizona throws for a, a ton of yards and puts up their two touchdowns against kind of scout team defense for USC. But with the starters, what did you take out of that? Yeah. Well, <clears throat> it's interesting because there are still some glaring concerns that you just hope that over the course of, of the season that USC can, can shore up. But I'm not sure if, if this team is really kind of built and designed based on how they practice and how they prepare for games to truly take away the run game, the way that you would think a stout interior defensive line should dominate the line of scrimmage. And with the speed on the perimeters, should be able to neutralize a team from being able to run at will on them. 
But when you think about over the course of the years, what's been USC's Achilles heel, it's been the secondary giving up chunk yard, deep balls, pass interference, just really playing undisciplined. But that's not the case this season. What we're seeing is a team that rightfully so um, gave Khalil Tate all that he can handle. And if you're Clancy Pendergast, you hope that you see Khalil Tate throughout the Pac-12 season, week in and week out. Just uh, put him in a transfer portal and let him start for the next team because um, he seems to have so much success, as you alluded to, when preparing for him. But I don't think that when you think about how USC performed against Arizona, that you can really truly focus on just this week. You almost have to go back a couple of weeks ago against Washington. Um, and what they were able to do in terms of neutralizing the passing game and really making it difficult for, um, for, for, the, for the Huskies on the road. Despite USC losing that game, Jacob Eason didn't have a great performance. He was 16 of 26 with only a long of 36 yards, two sacks, no touchdowns. Then you think about last week against Ian Book. Again, USC, for the most part, kept him pedestrian uh, to his own standards. So what you were seeing was a team that is starting to understand the game plan and how to implement that game plan. But if we can get this group to click on all cylinders, instead of a three-quarter pitch shutout, we might see a team that can actually start to flip the, the, um, the field by getting more three and outs and more productions. But what I like about what I saw was the aggressiveness, the tenacity by which they came after um, the Wildcats offense. They were very patient with their zone dog, green dog blitzes. And when I say zone dog, green dog blitzes, what I'm referring to is the linebackers pause, to read and react to make sure that the pass can't hurt them and then delay their blitz coming around the corner um, through the C gap, through the A gap at times, and, and really catching an offensive line that had communication issues all throughout the night. But it was the fact that the interior part of the line, Marlon um, Tuipilotu commanding and Brandon Peely commanding double teams at times, really giving uh, short edges for those linebackers and those edge rushers. I think, how many sacks did USC end up with? They end up with seven sacks on, on the night. Got the, the backup quarterback one time after getting Khalil Tate six times. And, and again, it's, it's one of those things where you were like, okay, how much do I give credit to USC versus how much is this offense by Arizona imploding? But if we are going to give credit to USC, it's simply because at times they show glimpses of this all throughout the season, but they had yet put together four solid quarters where you can really see what the potential of this team could be. And I think that the, uh, the offense was energized by it. Uh, by the performance, by the short fields uh, that that they were provided. And we're starting to see a team that, again, if you're looking at it from Clay Helton's perspective, going back to uh, the second half of the Notre Dame game, where they rallied a comeback in the defensively in the third and fourth quarter, they were able to get critical stops at times. We're starting to see a team that if they can just kind of peak at the right time, almost like water boiling, get to that that um, that one degree of separation from boiling to just where they're playing at an all-time high, they can actually make a run. And that could be very scary for the rest of the Pac-12 who doesn't quite understand what to make of USC. 
But for, for me, Eric, it was enjoyable. If I took the emotions of throughout the full season playing well at home and um, inconsistent on the road, if you just looked at it for what this game was worth, I was very entertained and pleased by the amount of depth that they were able to show as guys got injured and the next man up mentality came in. And you realize that the youth in this group gives this team a lot of potential moving forward. And it almost makes you scratch your head and wonder why aren't they on the field sooner? Yeah, I, I wanted to get into that. For, first of all, a comment about the defense. It, it feels like when Clancy Pendergast dials them up and they're playing on their toes and attacking and guys are coming from, you know, you, you've got corner blitzes, you've got nickel blitzes, you had safe, you know, Isaiah Polamau is coming in. You've got safety blitzes. You've got guys coming in. You've got a, a Hunter Eccles who kind of dials things up against uh, Arizona on Saturday night. It feels like when they can get on their toes, when they can attack, they're so much better than when, it's sort of a read and react and they're catching guys when they're on their heels a little bit and having to, you know, make two or three reads. And this was sort of the thing that we thought that we heard all off season. It's simpler, it's simpler, it's simpler. And in my mind, I kept thinking, okay, that means it's one read and you know where you're going. And it still right. felt like through the first half of the season that guys were, and it's not everybody that there were certainly, you know, pockets on the defense where, it was clicking from day one, but it didn't feel like all 11 guys were moving as one unit at the same speed and really with the same reaction time. And I think that's what it sort of gets down to is, yeah, you can, if everybody's running fast, that's fine. But if three guys are starting a full step late, boy, that's a big hole that, that somebody right. can take advantage of. And so this one felt like it, it never felt like the defense had to wait and see okay, where are they going? Now I'm going to go chase it. It, it was yeah. almost like the defense got to a spot and the, the Arizona offense had to react and they just couldn't. I mean, the, there were plays that they, you know, they, they got a few things together. J.J. Taylor, you know, he ends up with 80 yards and, and a five-yard average uh, running the ball. But it just never felt like Arizona had any kind of leg up right. against the, the USC defense. And again, it felt like because – the USC defense was dictating things, and that is yeah. not something we've really seen in, in any game this season. I'm curious if there's any kind of carry over there. We, we've talked a little and, bit. And there is. Who is yeah, this? There, there absolutely is, um, because when you think about how you recruit these five-star athletes, these are aggressive alphas on this football team. And when you, when you allow for them to play on their toes as, a, as opposed to – leaning back on their heels and reacting, as you alluded to, what that does is that changes the mentality of this team. Because if you have an athletic team as gifted as they are from a talent standpoint, and now you are allowing them to be aggressive and dial up, yeah, they may make mistakes, but guess what? Um, on the path of making the mistake, you're oftentimes going to cause more mistakes by the offense, whether it's releasing the ball too soon versus trying to drop into coverage, especially with um, an inexperienced group in terms of being together from a cohesive unit uh, for more than a string of games where the communication barriers oftentimes can break down. The reason why USC has struggled throughout the season is because they have so many veterans who are moving at the speed of movement as opposed to, as opposed to the, the, um, the movement of sound 
versus guys who are still trying to decipher if what they saw is truly the read that causes them to react. So what I mean by that is when the edge is sealed, uh, whether it's a, um, a pulling guard or um, a slot receiver coming down and cracking on the end, the defender has to replace off the hip or butt of that defender and replace them. And sometimes when you're new to it, you're not certain of what you're seeing. And that slight hesitation causes you just enough uncertainty to allow for a big hole or for two players to find themselves in the same hole. But when you are hitting it downhill, like we've seen a healthy Palaia Neoteote do, he causes havoc on his way to uh, destruction. And as a result of that, yeah, he may not always get there, but he causes just enough of the play to collapse for someone else to make the play. And if, if Clancy can continue to dial up aggressive uh, styles of play to allow these guys to react, the athleticism will make him right. But when he uh, forces them to sit back and now have to read and react, that's just too much time. We used to say this playing dominoes, study long, study wrong. And that happens oftentimes when these guys get um, paralyzed in, with their thoughts when they have to read too many different things. But with that being said, we, we saw in this game at least five starters not suited up. And we saw a ton of rotational players coming in. Um, now, you asked me this question off air, and it's worth resetting. You know, when younger guys come in and we see the type of production that we saw from a um, uh, uh, Hunter Echoes, or offensively, whether it's the rotation of Marquis Step, whom we've come to appreciate and love, or Keenan Christian. When we see these guys come in and they have instant success, oftentimes from a fan standpoint, we scratch our head and wonder, well, why have you been hiding these guys? Well, sometimes from the coach's standpoint, these guys are learning how to prepare to compete in a game while their their performance may translate on game day, the preparation leading up to that may not be consistent enough for the coaching staff or the player next to them to trust that they're going to consistently be where they are where where they say they're going to be. It's easy to put them in in situations where um, it's a third down package or you know it's a certain short yardage package where they only have to those players rotating in only have to focus on that particular uh, set of plays, but it's a lot harder when you're asking them to absorb a full game plan with a lot of adjustments and audibles that happen throughout the game. That sometimes puts too much pressure on a player who we're asking, the coaching staff has demanded of one another to simplify their own schemes to make it easier for players to just play free. So it's not an indictment on uh, their knowledge or growth curve. It just simply means some players who may be in front of them have picked up the scheming concept faster than, than the, the younger players who are coming in having to adapt and learn on the run. That, that seems like a good spot to, to kind of reset the, the injury updates. Uh, against Arizona, USC, they, they started without five defensive starters, but Isaac Taylor Stewart, he, he got over that ankle injury and he played for, for a, a huge chunk of the game. I was surprised actually that he played as much as he did when he didn't get the start. True freshman Dorian Hewitt started uh, at cornerback, but Christian Rector has been dealing with that, that nagging uh, ankle injury for weeks now. He didn't play at linebacker. You mentioned uh, Palaie, Naoteote, EA. 
Uh, he did not play at all. He was replaced by Kanai Malga, who had a phenomenal game. 13 yeah. tackles, a sack, an interception, a forced fumble. He kind of did everything defensively. Uh, and then back in the secondary, you didn't have Greg Johnson, who was out with a shoulder injury at nickel. True fresh, freshman Max Williams stepped in for him, and he hasn't played a lot. But certainly what we knew of him coming into USC, mm-hmm. he's kind of – edging in on that Chris Steele, Keaton Slovis territory where, yes, they're true freshmen, they're, they're true freshmen, but it's almost time to stop treating them you know, and, and talking about <laughs> like, them like hey, they're hey, true freshmen. But let me say one thing about Max Williams, okay? He is going to Wally Pip somebody. No doubt about that. Because when I saw him, there was one play that looked like Arizona was trying to set up a screen. There were two big, fat nasties in front of him, big offensive linemen. He maneuvered his way around them and made the tackle in the backfield before it could become one of those um, chunk yard plays that we always talk about. This is not the first time we see a five footer um, who is near and dear to my heart, being that I'm only five foot nothing, okay? But another five footer out there who plays with the heart that he plays with. Not since Nikhil um, Roby, um, who's since changed his name with the Rams, but not since Nikhil Roby. Um, have we seen someone of his stature be able to maneuver his body and play at the level that he's able to play at um, and play with the type of instincts? I would not be surprised, no disrespect to Greg Johnson, but I would not be surprised if before the end of this year, we're talking about him the same way that we seen the Revere over Keaton Slovis um, at that nickel spot. It's going to be hard to take that away from him for years to come. Right. And, and then Elijah Griffin out at corner, Chris Steele. Uh, starts again opposite Dorian Hewitt. You had three true freshmen at cornerback. Then during the game, you lose Drake Jackson, who I, you know, I, I didn't mention him among the true freshmen that you don't consider true freshmen anymore. But certainly he he's in that uh, he's in that group as well. But he goes down with an ankle injury. Safety Talanoa Hafanga he goes down with a shoulder injury. Then on the other side at, at running back. Stephen Carr goes down with a hamstring. Marquis Step goes down with an ankle injury. It th- this was not a good game in terms of injuries. We'll see uh, l- later here on Monday. Uh, Clay Helton should have more of an injury update. But boy, it-, it does not look good for a quick turnaround week. It's one of those things where you don't like that the game's on Friday because it gives guys a, a day less to to recover. But certainly the fact that it's Colorado and not it's not Oregon coming to town for a Friday night game, it, you know, hopefully uh, they can all get back. But it's going to be it's going to be next man up, I, I think, at a lot of spots. And I think what you saw, like we mentioned from a Max Williams stepping up, mm-hmm. uh, the, the game that Kanai Malga had, the game that Keenan Christen had, who he certainly optimized. Oh, and I think. The speed is what everyone's going to talk about. That's one of those things you you knew you knew he had that. You know, when when guys do sort of what they're supposed to do, what they're brought in for, it's yeah. it's impressive to see how fast he is. But the the physical ability he has, I think, the fact that he does, yep. you know, he's not he's not stuttering in the backfield and making sure the hole's there. I think right. what I'm impressed by are you know the the first seven yard run. I think was was just as impressive as the two touchdown runs where he's hitting the hole hard. He's taking sort of the fight uh, to the defense. And I think yep. for me, that's the thing that stood out about him. And, and for those uh, those fans um, who are unaware of 
of who he is and where he comes from out of San Diego area. He's the reigning 100 meter and 200 meter California state champion. So no doubt about it, can, you know, he put that foot in the ground and transition zero to 40 faster than any of them. Uh, but oftentimes you don't always see a track guy transfer that speed onto the field with the, the, uh, the graceness that he shows. Um, when you think about the future of USC and what he was able to do, bursting for what, a 55-yarder and then coming back with a 30-yarder, all he needs is a crease. And while we, we love those home run hits, like you said, it was those short bursts inside that gives you the promise or the belief that, wait a minute, are we seeing potentially the next coming? And, and, I, and I know this is rare air, so please, I'm not trying to compare uh, Kristen to Reggie Bush. But are we Certainly seeing the next coming of so far, but, but what a they thunder and lightning like. is what I'm saying with uh, yes. Marquis Steph and a Kristen in the backfield with that type of explosiveness for, for you know, um, granted, this is still Stephen Carr's time and Vavai Malapai. But when you start thinking about the nucleus of this running back stable of USC, it's like, okay, if you're Graham Harrell, can you dial up enough creativity offensively to feature these running backs and showcase their skill set when healthy? Because that's what it's going to take. But like you, I, was, I didn't know what to expect from him, but I was very impressed with what I saw because I was like, wow, I forgot that you had that in your backfield. Yeah, and, and I think going to Colorado uh, is going to be very interesting. Certainly, it didn't seem like the recovery uh, for Marky Steppen and, um, and Stephen Carr. After the game, both of them sort of you know shook off any worry about this being a long-term thing. But, boy, I think depending maybe on how that Colorado game goes early, it's going to be cold out there. Uh, Thank you. I'm glad you mentioned it. Maybe you let some of these guys, if you can, rest up for that Oregon game. Because <laughs> I'm so glad like you mentioned it, that. Yeah, if what you can get from that offense with a guy like Keenan Kristen in there in that second half, if you can get that same production against Colorado and, and defensively, too, what you saw with all those guys out, I uh, I think you think long and hard about not rushing some of these guys back. Right, but right Let's now, flip into that Colorado game a little bit because, yes. boy, Colorado does not look good recently. This looks like maybe that same – you know, there's still a couple guys that, that have the ability there, especially on the offensive side. But this feels like a game that USC should go in and roll just like what they did against Arizona. But it's a Friday night road game. Pac-12 teams just do not win on the road on Friday night. It, it has not happened very right. often. And it's, again, that is, that's really the only question mark. USC, 4-0 at home this year, 3-0 on the road. I get it. At BYU, at Washington, at Notre Dame. Those are not, you know, easy places to play. Certainly, you wish, you, you think that they probably could have done better at BYU, but I, you know, it's they're not losing. You know, it's not at Oregon State. It's not. Right. You know, they didn't lose at Fresno State or something like that this season. So, but but here here's what I would say to that. Okay. Yes. yes. Uh, I would be more concerned if USC didn't put together a complete game at home against Arizona. 
sure. after coming off the loss against Notre Dame. Because on a short week with all the injuries, boy, oh boy, it becomes tough because now you're in your own head. Maybe perhaps you're second guessing um, your, your game preparation and things like that. But here's the downside of playing on a Friday night on a short week after you've, you've gotten so many guys banged up. You're playing in that cold, 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 cold weather. And when you're injured, the last thing you want to think about is how long it takes for you to warm up a soft tissue muscle or a joint such as an ankle or, you know, if you're, if you're dealing with some type of foot injury. It is just any lower body extremity from a knee down to an ankle to soft tissue muscles like hip flexors and hamstrings becomes very, very difficult to get those things warmed up. In fact, for my little brief time in the NFL with the Indianapolis Colts undrafted, when we played in cold weather, we would get in a hot tub before, before um, going out and warming up to make sure that that body was nice and warm so that as we were warming up, uh, it wouldn't take us so long. It's almost like defrosting the windshield of your car, Eric. That's what concerns me most about guys who are nicked up who may try to give it a go because you're talking about this short of a week on a season where USC away from the Coliseum has, has not played up to its standard. And as a result of that, hadn't come away with any victories. So this is a very critical game. And I hope that Clay Helton and this coaching staff places emphasis on how well and how important it is to get off to a fast start so that Colorado at home doesn't gain any confidence that perhaps they can mount an upset. Because of their 13, um, um, of their 13 games uh, um, throughout the history of this um, rivalry against, if you want to call it a rivalry now, against Colorado, they've never beaten the Trojans. And you certainly don't want to be the head coach that loses for the first time to the Buffs, whether it's at home or away. So this game is critical if you're talking about building some momentum and kind of changing the narrative of this season just being, you know, great at home and inconsistent away from the Coliseum. Yeah, and, and we'll get into sort of more game breakdown later in the week in, in our game day piece. But I, I do agree with you. I, I think the fact that USC came out and just sort of stomped on Arizona and, and did what they needed to do, there isn't a whole lot of pause in terms of, oh, no, can they, you know, can they get this together? Can they, can they rebound from Notre Dame? And, and I really think overall this season, again, there's so much outside noise about head coach Clay Helton and, and is he going to stay, the athletic director situation, uh, the quarterbacks, the injuries, the backups, all of this stuff. Boy, the, the players have come out and really – played and played hard I mean it, it's one of those things if you're looking for you know what does this team do and how is it different than last year for me that's absolutely what it is and that's what sort of gives you some comfort with them having to take this on the road against Colorado this team the players they're going to show up and against a team like Colorado with what we've seen from them certainly recently it could just be that if USC goes out and gives their best effort with the talent that they have, regardless of it, if it's twos or threes there, they should be fine. E even on the road, even on a Friday night, it, it, it doesn't scream, you know, trap game the way that uh, a BYU did sort of earlier in the season where, when you were running that. Although looking ahead to a visit from Oregon is going to be kind of 
tough to to avoid yeah. uh, at this but, point. So, but but let's hope that that USC is not doing what we're doing. We're kind of looking beyond sure. Colorado. Oh sure. Be, because when I think about this game, and you 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 stated something at least from a defensive mindset earlier on um, in, in our podcast, you talked about USC when they when they appear to be aggressive against Arizona and they dictate it. Good things happen for them. On the road, when communication can become a problem and it's cold and you can almost hear your own thoughts or, or, or the words coming out of your mouth from the fog in the air, right? This is a game where you want to play more man coverage and you want to be aggressive and hover around the line of scrimmage and just really disrupt the timing and rhythm of Colorado and force the tempo to them get yourself off the field and onto those warm heating um, benches so that the offense can score points. It's very critical that they don't wait for uh, Colorado to bring the fight to them, that they go after the buffs and, and they really dictate tempo and pace. With so many young guys, you want to see them even dummy down more just the, the, um, the adjustments and the changes and go in with the game plan that, that they can execute because there are so many new faces to the right and to the left uh, of some of the starters who are still, you know, consistently battling in the middle of the field. It's very important that communication is at a minimum and you're not relying so much on um, verbal signals, but more so on nonverbal hand cues in, in terms of what adjustments are going to be made. So I am curious to see if USC is feeling sorry for themselves coming in or if they're feeling themselves and feeling some of the confidence uh, having beaten up on um, an inconsistent Arizona team that came in and taking that show on the road and building off that momentum. Yeah, absolutely. We'll we'll see if USC can put another Pac-12 win, another Pac-12 South win uh, on the board against Colorado. They certainly got one uh, on Saturday night against Arizona. Again, that that's our look at USC 41, Arizona 14, and sort of the state of USC as they move forward over this second half of the season, Colorado coming up next at in Boulder uh, on Friday night. So for Daryl Rideau, this is Eric McKinney. Thanks for listening to the We Are SC podcast, Monday morning cornerback.